0: We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open-source applications and using them to get things done.
1: If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889.
0: In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are things going for you?
1: (laughs) Things are going well, you know. Remember, I told you I was going to use Linux Mint and not change so much. Well, I changed again.
0: Uh huh. So, oh, yeah. what's going on now?
1: Now, just uh, I went back to Zorin because uh, it just works for me. I had a few issues. I was beta testing Linux Mint, um, mm-hmm. and I just needed something that I was familiar with. So, long story short, went ahead. Redid my laptop because I have nothing better to do on a Friday night. And uh, got a dual boot set up and and with uh, Windows 10 on one for when I I have a game I have to play once in a while. And the rest is Zorin. And then I'm running everything in containers, like kind of what I was planning. And Mm -hmm. the test machine over here right now has two images on it, uh, or two systems. One is Linux Mint 19... Uh, dot three to continue testing it and see if I can find um, any more bugs. And the other one is, uh, I was kind of curious, I wanted to see how uh, elementary OS worked. Oh, yeah. And, and it runs really well. I was really surprised. They have some uh, unique elements to their desktop, but what was really interesting is it runs really, really fast. Uh, it looks a lot to me like a Mac uh, interface. Uh, yeah. They use a, a created um, software center, so about everything you'd want is there. It, like I said, it seems to be uh, really nice. Uh, it's been running fine. Um, this would probably be a great system for like uh, an older parent or a younger child that you just want to make sure that it works all the time because I haven't found mm-hmm. any really glitches. So it's like uh, if you, all you're going to use it for is email and stuff like that and you want to keep the complications way down and you want to use older hardware, this seems like it would work really well. Uh, this machine also had run Ubuntu Mate uh, 1804.3, I think it was, and it also run really well, too. But uh, it, it was kind of um, interesting. If you want to add a um, something that's not in their software store, uh, I couldn't find Subnaptic, and, and and so I had to actually Google how you know how do I add a Deb package to this because it's based on Ubuntu, and then they tell you basically use Eddy, and then it works fine. You can install anything you want. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's kind of like a mini review. It, it runs well. Um, I don't think it's really for me because it's uh, I like to tinker too much. But if you want something hmm. that just works and is very pretty. Um, it seems to do that, but I will uh, make just one comparison between Ubuntu Mate and um, Pantheon. Ubuntu Mate also has that same setting where you can kind of make it look like a Mac if you want. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, the one thing about uh, elementary I saw is that when I was looking through the software store, they actually have where you can pay for applications from developers in their software store.
0: So it's kind of a way to uh, provide donations without figuring out how to donate to a particular project. Right?
1: Yeah, but the only uh, thing that I have um, maybe a little problem with is I don't have a problem with paying for uh, an OS. I mean, I paid for Zorin and I like it um, or, or supporting a, a project. But I can't remember what I was looking for, but it come up and, and it was only a dollar. Uh, for this application, but it seems like that's the only one in there, so there might be an open source project that that works just as well that you don't need to pay for. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's different. I I know they're trying to make these projects where they can make a little money for developers, and I'm all for that, but I just don't know um, about having just that at store and actually not being able to obviously look through uh, a um, a bigger catalog of software you know I'll give you an example uh, just because I compared them before but the Ubuntu mate has the same software center but yep. uh, I can't remember do you remember if synaptic uh, is installed by default on Ubuntu mate?
0: It is not, but it's available okay. in...
1: In the software store. So, I, yeah, I, like I said, I don't have a problem if they want to charge for it, but uh, Synaptic, um, Eddie will let you install the DEBs. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. install, like, a the Chrome DEB or Chromium, um, it will let you do that. But that's for somebody that already knows what they want, and... I, I think it should be a little bit easier to say I need Synaptic uh, Package Manager and to use that to get the software uh, yeah. for maybe more advanced users or or just someone that just wants to see what's available. And so I, I know why they did it. They wanted to make it simple and secure. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and, but… Uh, another thing that come up, uh, they were talking to one, uh, one of the developers on uh, Elementary OS, and uh, right now they're trying to figure out. If, say you buy an application for a dollar uh, mm-hmm. in their app store, and then they upgrade it. Then uh, what happens is that they still don't have a good system to restore that application. They, you know, they're, they're, they said they're working on it. Hmm. And so that's been kind of worked out where it remembers what you've, you've purchased, and so you can load it back onto the new version of your system. And um, I'm not harshing on them. It's a, it's a pretty uh, operating system, but when I went to go download the ISO, uh, mm-hmm. before you even tested it, you know they have where, you know you pay what you want. I I just put zero in it, lets you <laughs> download it. But it locked, sure. yeah. but they also have you know twenty thirty ten dollars or whatever. Dad, this was like, well, how do I know I like it? Why you know I don't want to pay the thirty dollars or twenty dollars or whatever it is for the for their version of the software until I've actually seen if I like it enough to buy it. Right, uh, of course, kind of like. Yeah, it doesn't really affect a Mate because you can donate to their uh, their project, but they really right. don't ask for anything up front. And even Zorn has a light version that you can try before you know to see if you like it enough to to go with the ultimate. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I know what they're trying to do, and it's it's great. And then you know they're throwing different stuff at the wall, um, but I think it might be a little, it could be a little better. And I know I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail yeah. for it. I'm not harsh on them. I'm, you know, I, I know it's hard to monetize uh, open source uh, projects, but I don't know if that's the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, I get it. And I also think that when they say pay what you want, zero is acceptable. If you're just trying it out for the first time, and you don't want to pay anything for it as you're trying it out. So I think that was their intention. Maybe I'm wrong, but I get the impression that that's what they were going for. And, of course, they're not going to put zero as one of the default settings because they want people Money. to pay for it. Well, that, willing, that's fine. Yeah. I mean,
1: I mean we, everybody's got to pay the bills. And, you know, like I said, I, I like a lot of what they've done. Uh, I think it would be a good system for uh for for somebody that just doesn't want to have to deal with a bunch of of stuff you know just throw it on there but you can pretty much get everything um that you want uh from uh since i compared them a bunch of mate with a little effort with if you have a friend you can pretty much have it set up to do the same thing you know Mm -hmm. so where they've done a lot of work to kind of make to bring Unify, the, the desktop together. I just, I don't know if there's enough uh, value added that it would be so much better. So, I mm-hmm. don't know. I'm still, like I said, I'll still play with it, but um, good for them for trying. That was not a harsh review of them. I just wanted to say there were some things that, hey, well, I don't have to agree with everything, but they're doing good work. Right. So, um, Absolutely, I, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully they're pushing on some of these changes upstream and, you know, cause I'm, cause they're building upon Ubuntu base. So anyway, other than that, it's just been, um, my usual, let's see what I can break today and, uh, work.
0: Well, as a matter of fact, speaking of breaking things, uh, we just before starting recording received an email from Stefan in Germany, Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first email we've got there. I've got a screenshot of what he's seeing. And why don't, why don't we just jump right into that and we'll talk a little bit about that.
1: Okay. So Stefan, who's in Germany, sent us a screenshot uh, from Firefox that shows that Firefox has a problem with the SSL certificate on our site. And he sent us a a screenshot of it, and he says, hi, I get this error message when I click on the button, going Linux, community, see attachment. I know what this means, but maybe others uh, don't. So best regards, Stefan. And so what's it say? (laughs)
0: Yeah, so it's one of those security warnings that Firefox gives you if the SSL certificate is out of date, expired, or that kind of thing. And specifically, it comes up with this error message that says, warning, potential security risk ahead. And when you click on the advance button, it gives you the reason that it says community.goinglinux.com uses an invalid security certificate. Well, if you recall, I just got SSL certificates for our entire website. It says, though, that the certificate is not trusted because it is self-signed. In other Hmm. words, the issuer of the certificate is the one who signed it. And what I've noticed is I tried this in my Firefox on my machine, which I have quite frankly, haven't used since I installed it. So when I went uh, and clicked the accept risk and continue button on that page, so I got the same message. uh, Every time I went back and clicked the community button on our website, it just went right there to the community and never proceeded to show this error message. So if you see this error message in Firefox or anywhere else, Uh, You just click on advance and click accept the risk and continue, which may seem a little scary uh, if you're not familiar with this stuff, but it's just warning you about the SSL certificate. And I will take Stefan's email and the screenshot, forward it on to our web host and say, what the heck is going on here? You've provided me with an effective SSL certificate. You better get it fixed. So hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> we'll get that that issue resolved quickly. And uh, if not, uh, bear with us. It is you know coming up to the holiday season, and I don't know about our our web host or the SSL company whether they take time off during the holidays or not. So it may be until January we get it. It takes to get it fixed, but it appears. That once you click the accept a risk and continue, for that for that button or for that site, it just goes through no problem.
1: So let me just give a little background on this, so I make sure I or I, I understand this and you understand this. We uh, for a long time did not uh, have we ha- did not have the HTTPS, which stand which means that it's a secure a secure site. Uh, yeah. And when then we got delisted from iTunes, uh, just out of the blue because we didn't have that cert. So then you right. went to the web host and paid them money because they didn't—they won't let you use one of the free ones. And so you paid—you you paid them the money, and now
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's doing this and with this yep. really scary warning, potential security risk. And I just want to point out it shows go back it's recommended go back don't use know, <laughs>
0: so yeah
1: oh wow
0: i knew this was going to happen
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you went through all those hoops resubmit yep. we got it resubmitted it uh, does it does it do it on any other browsers
0: uh you know i don't know because yeah i've been on our website on chrome forever and oh, yeah. Uh, You know, I just tried this new installation of Firefox, well, relatively new installation of Firefox, just before the recording, and it occurred there. But now I can't replicate it, because I guess I've accepted the risk, right, on the button. And uh, Let me try something
1: while we're recording. I downloaded the new Brave browser to see what it was all about. So
0: let's see what it says. I want...
1: I want to see what it says, so I'm going to our site right now and and see if it throws up errors, because it will sometimes say, you say when it says you click, you go to the community, right? So yeah, so
0: there's a button on the top right, and it says going Linux community. If you click that button, that's when the error message comes out.
1: Okay, let me see what it says here. Oh. That's interesting. It said, This one comes up and says, your connection is not private. Attackers might be trying to steal your information from the community.goinglinks.com, for example, passwords, messages, or credit cards. And it says learn more. And then it says the error that it gives, it says net, uh, and it's error cert authority invalid.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They they they're insisting that we pay for a SSL certificate from a company that isn't really recognized, so that's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know this makes great that podcasting, but I was just wondering and if you hit uh, advanced it, it reads this server could not prove that it is com. its security certificate is not trusted by your computer's operating system. This may be caused by uh, a misconfiguration or an attacker intercepting your connection. Well, that's kind of scary.
0: That sounds even worse, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, Larry, uh, uh, you look like you might be having to uh, talk to them about that.
0: Yeah, I know. We're just such shady people.
1: Yeah. Of course, we don't ask for passwords. We don't take credit cards. And... uh, Mm. Yeah, there's
0: nothing on our website that does that. The only thing that I can think that might be valid is that we provide links and screenshots from other websites that may not have the SSL certificate. And that warning would be fair. Yeah. But this this is specifically saying that our site may not be trustworthy. And, in fact, in Chrome, if you go to our website – and click on the little eye icon next to the URL for our site, it says your connection to the site is not fully secure. Attackers may be able to see the images you're looking at on this site and trick you by modifying them. And a little button that says learn more. And when you click on that, it gives you some more details about that, but you know, and that warning isn't quite so dire as your. <laughs> you know, we may be stealing your credit cards and all that other stuff. And your so.
1: passwords, of course, we don't yeah. use it. Larry, are you? Is there something that you want to tell me that I don't know about yet? <laughs>
0: uh, no, no. So, uh, not now, that there isn't something. I, I, it's not that I don't want to tell you. It's that there's nothing going on. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be
1: so. Um, was was this SSL, uh, I never asked you, was it fairly expensive, this SSL certificate? Uh,
0: it's not in the grand scheme of things. I think it's like $40 a year or something if you oh, okay. buy it for multiple years up front, which I did. But they have no way of actually renewing it after three months. So even though you pay for a year, you have to go in every three months and say, please reinstall it. Oh, you it doesn't me? cost you anything else. Yeah, this is. Uh, I change uh, providers if I could, but uh, it's just too much of a hassle at this point. It's it's easier to get them to fix the problem than it is to try to switch from them at this point. Well,
1: hopefully, anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> we beat so that's to what death. I've been working with. Yeah, <laughs> we beat that one Love, to death. Joy. But yeah, that's that's kind of guys. The site's okay. <laughs> We're not stealing anything from you. Yeah. Uh, Wow.
0: Oh, dear. Well, let's go on to our next email, uh, which comes from Carlos, who wrote us about software licenses. Hi, Larry and Bill. In episode 376, you mentioned WPS Office as a possible alternative off-suite that may ease the transition to Linux. As the official bespectacled picky minion who actually reads EULA's, and user license agreements, I wanted to point out a curiosity. The user agreement for WPS Office states that for countries other than mainland China, Linux users can only install the software on, and here's a quote, Linux OS produced by China brand enterprises such as Ubuntu or Ubuntu Kylan, DPN, Neo Kylan, NFS China and New Start CPU x86 or CPU produced by China enterprises such as Lung Son, and, and list several others that I'm not sure I can pronounce. So if you do not have a Chinese CPU, that was the end of the quote. and, and Carlos continues. So if you don't have a Chinese CPU and a Chinese version of Ubuntu, you will be in violation of the license. Not sure if this would ever be enforced, though. Note that Windows or Mac users of the software are not bound to similar restrictions. And now a hint for NVIDIA users. With the frequent kernel updates, if we use the NVIDIA proprietary drivers, we are forced to agree to their license for times for each update at least in my open SUSE boxes in the command line you're forced to page down all the way to the end and then type yes every time although i like to read eula's i don't like it that much even less the same one i found that if i hit q i don't need to page down to the end i still have to type yes but it is somewhat satisfying that i found a workaround keep up the good work carlos so, um, interesting. Uh-huh. Thank you, Carlos, for reading those EULAs, and we've learned something new.
1: Yeah, I knew they had a EULA for Deep End when I was uh, testing it, but mm-hmm. I remember that when I, when I was reading through, most of it was just, you know, like standard boilerplate. Um, but I didn't see that, but uh, if he read it, eh, I'm sure it's there. As far as... Um, uh, as using the uh, WPS, I've I've kind of settled on uh, using the LibreOffice one. Uh, they they there's a little setting that you can make it look very modern. Some people don't like it. It's like the ribbon at the top, mm-hmm. which uh, works well for me. So I've I've kind of shied away from the WPS once I moved uh, away from DeepEnd for. Reasons that we don't need to go into as far as you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, security and privacy. Um, so yeah, that's kind of interesting. But as far as the installing the NVIDIA uh, drivers, Zorin and Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate all use the uh, the driver manager, and all it ever says when I install the driver for my system is that this is a closed source. Uh, driver that uh, we can't improve upon because you know they, apparently they're not they don't share their, all their code, and then you have to type password your system password and then just installs. So I, I have never had to type yes or or agree to their licensing mm-hmm. uh, four times, but that might be something that uh, is just like OpenSUSE.
0: Um, uh, yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All your machines are Intel video card based, right?
0: Yes, that's
1: right. That's right. So, yeah, you, you wouldn't see it anyway. So. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: But yeah. I did notice when I was using OpenSUSE, which was, you know, more than 10 years ago now, uh, that there was a lot more having to accept the EULAs by actually typing something in and not clicking a checkbox or a button. Uh, but th- like I said, that was... Ten years ago, so things may have changed, but apparently not.
1: Well, it could be that doing something a little different. I don't know, because uh, neither one yeah. of us run. Uh, we've run OpenSUSE in the past, but you know we're uh, Ubuntu-based uh, fanboys. So our next email comes from Michael, who provided a link for Linux users who also use the Orca screen reader. He writes, "Hi Larry and Bill." It seems that using the Chrome browser with the Orca screen reader is being worked on. Uh, I haven't tried this myself, as I don't know how to update my version of Orca. don't have the skills to try it and have not been able to install Chrome in latest Ubuntu Mate. But blind users with the skills to do it sh- will not be able to monitor Orca lists might find this of use. Okay. And he goes, how to turn on Google Chrome accessibility. And he provides a link, and we'll put it in the show notes. Happy Christmas to both uh, you and Bill, Michael, West Yorkshire, UK. So, okay. So they're working on having Orca work better with Chrome?
0: Yes, exactly. And when you click on that link, it opens an article on the GNOME website that says Getting Started with Orca and Chrome slash Chromium. Uh, and it, it, I'll, let me just read the introductory paragraph without going into all the details. It says, Orca support for Chrome slash Chromium is ready, but you will need at least Orca 3.34.1 because it contains fixes that did not make it into the 3.34.0 release. Chrome or Chromium support to work with Orca is getting close, but there are still some significant bugs which need to be fixed. For that reason, you should be using at least the dev channel of Chrome, which you can get from, and they've got a link there for the dev channel, which I'm assuming gives you the fixes in Chrome. And when I check the version of Orca that is installed on Ubuntu Mate by default, and for... Michael and anyone else who's a blind user, if you open a terminal and you type orca-version, space it will print out the, the version. 3.34.0 is the release that's installed in Ubuntu Mate 19.10. So I'm assuming that in 20.04, the next LTS release that will be released in April next year, will have the latest version of Orca, and this will become a non-issue for Ubuntu Mate users. But it looks like you'll need to either wait for that update or find a way to install the latest version of Orca, maybe from the Orca website, to get the advantages of it working properly with Chrome. And in the meantime, you could also use Firefox, I guess.
1: In the meantime, while, we're, while they're waiting for the 2004, is there an easy way to uh, upgrade Orca in Ubuntu Mate, or would you suggest just uh, just kind of hold, hold out to the next version? I I know uh, uh, Martin's pretty um, uh, on top of keeping everything you know stable in Ubuntu Mate. Uh, do you think it would be wise to try to upgrade to this dev version, or or just wait, or just use Firefox? S-
0: Yeah, so the dev version is the version of Chrome that they're saying to get. Okay. And to get that, I think you would just go to this uh, article on the GNOME site that gives you the link to the dev version of Chrome. Oh, okay. And to install Orca, um, I don't think you'll be able to get a version ahead from the Ubuntu repositories, whether that's Ubuntu Mate or Ubuntu Proper. I think you'll have to go to the place where you would normally download orca and install it, um, on the orca website. And it appears that orca is part of the GNOME project. I don't remember for sure, but it is definitely something that, um, you can, uh, Get more information on on the gnome site and hopefully they'll have a place there to go and download a later version of it i think with the difficulty i'm having as a sighted person trying to figure out where to go to get the download link for orca it's probably best just to wait for the updates and in the meantime use firefox as your browser because it looks from this article that the issue is with Chrome and not with Firefox.
1: Yeah. I, I, when I did a search for the Orca screen reader, it comes up and it gives me the address of users uh, users.org course and then stable. Yeah. And right. so I think I would just wait because, you know, it will be updated. Just go ahead and use Firefox right now. I know that's not really a great answer, but um, two-sided guys having trouble getting this to find out where to get it and stuff. It might be a little too much for someone that has some vision issues.
0: Yeah, exactly. All All right. All right. So our next email comes from Rossi who asked about Huawei laptops. Hi guys. This is Rossi from Houston, Texas. I love listening to the podcast. You provide a wealth of information, but I have a, doozy on my hands. I am looking to purchase the new Huawei MateBook Pro X 2019, but the problem is I don't know if there is any Linux distro that supports Huawei computers. I can vaguely recall seeing an article written that Linux does not support Huawei yet, but then I don't know. If the source that i saw it from was reputable if anyone knows some valid information about this i would greatly appreciate it i'm looking to run zoran os on it if it works properly otherwise i'll have to go and get the new dell xps thanks rossi and rossi and i went back and forth on email and i gave him some links to some of the reviews of this huawei machine And those links will be in the show notes. There are two links for articles that are reviews of this Huawei machine. And then there's a YouTube video, all of which contain information about their ability to install Linux on the Huawei. And it seems that it's pretty straightforward. And there may be a couple of the soft buttons, the function key buttons that don't work like volume. (laughs) <laughs> things like that minor minor little issues uh but other than that um the, if you can work around those issues ubuntu at least installs very easily on the machine and works like a champ even if i remember correctly the fingerprint reader works which is oftentimes the thing that doesn't work on these not designed yeah. for linux computers um so it should work just fine But if you do decide, Rossi, to go and get the XPS, I've had my XPS for a few years now, and I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the uh, specs for the Huawei Mate Pro X, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like there's anything uh, too crazy about it. It has an i7 uh, quad-core processor, an NVIDIA MX250 GPU, has Thunderbolt 3. So, yeah, I don't know why it wouldn't unless it's doing something kind of weird.
0: Yeah, it, it should work just fine. It, it, like you said, it doesn't have any crazy hardware in it. Mm Uh, and the only thing that's unique about it is that the camera, the webcam, instead of being at the top of the bezel of your screen, like most laptops or at the bottom of the bezel, like the XPS, the early XPS, uh, laptops they actually have it pop out of the keyboard So oh. is a little key you press and the and the <laughs> <laughs> camera pops up and uh that's you know, cool w- w- one more hardware thing to go wrong in my opinion but it apparently works quite nicely and it's not the best camera in the world but it's unique and people will comment on it i'm sure if you get that <laughs> of course there's the whole issue of the fact that Huawei is built in china and they had some controversy over their phones and stuff possibly spying on americans and if you take any of that to heart you probably want to go with something like the xps but yeah. if you're not concerned about that then the wami machine is actually pretty nicely specced, and it's nice and light and easy to carry around and seems to be pretty good
1: unlike my nine pound laptop that one's a lot lighter yeah yeah
0: this <laughs> one's just a little bit lighter like a little bit lighter pounds.
1: so our next email comes from troy and and he wrote uh to us and we've back and forth an email about a month and a half ago and troy asked us our, our, our opinion and he, he he wrote larry i hope you and bill are doing well This is not necessarily a question for the show, just uh, a professional question, and I was hoping to get your thoughts before this computer arrives for this customer.
0: Yeah, I have to say that since this was a month and a half ago, he's already ordered the (laughs) computer for the customer, and spoiler alert... The um, the customer loves it, so we've already given him a, a, our opinions. We'll talk about it a little bit here, but I thought it was important to share this uh, information. Although he says it's not necessarily for the show, he didn't say don't use it for the show. So here it is.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's he specced it out nice. I have to say it's a it's a pretty nice computer. And mm-hmm. So he right, we have a com- a customer who has been using a Mac for quite a while. But because her company requires her to have Windows to run a certain specific program of theirs, and boy, don't I know that, mm-hmm. um, she has been running it using Parallels. Her computer is really old and slow, and she absolutely hates Parallels and the way it works. She doesn't relish the idea of moving to a Windows computer and having to deal with antivirus and anti-malware Windows 10 bugs, uh, Windows updates, breaking stuff, etc., etc. The software company for that program also recommended a computer with 16 gigabytes of memory. She looked at a Mac with an i7 processor and at least 16 gigabytes of memory, but it was over $2,500. And she thought that was just insane. Her other concerns were figuring out how to get her pictures off her iPhone where she could do minor editing and be able to share them with people. She's been using iPhoto in Mac uh, for this. She said her company also occasionally sends her MS Office documents that include a lot of macros. And uh, Larry, before we go any further, do you want to let people know what macros are?
0: Yeah, so macros are just uh automation that in Microsoft's version of Office, you can include in things like Excel or Word that do things like, instead of doing a lot of clicks to put in, let's say, a whole paragraph, they can uh, give you a button or give you Um, a series of keystrokes that allow you to put in a standard template paragraph or things like that. They can even, in Excel, build entire applications, graphical applications, using these macros, uh, also known as Visual Basic for Applications. Those macros in Microsoft Office in particular have been a target of malware and spyware, and oftentimes you'll see a um, a warning come up saying, do you want to enable macros? And if you do that, uh, if your computer is vulnerable and using Windows and things like that, you could end up with a virus. But most of those have been taken care of. And with, if you're running Windows, running antivirus, anti-malware protection, you're protected. So not much risk these days.
1: So... He continues and he says, so they don't always work right in LibreOffice. Since we need to order a laptop for her daughter who is just going into high school, she wanted us to quote her on a system as well uh, for her own needs. Her daughter's needs are very basic, email, web, and a few office documents. She is getting a Dell Inspiron 3583 with a quad Core i5 processor, 8 gigabytes of memory, 256 solid-state NVMe drive, that's an SSD, uh, mm-hmm. 15.6 display with Linux Mint. Easy peasy. So my thought for the mother was to get her a higher-end computer with Linux Mint as her primary OS and then put Windows 10 into a VirtualBox virtual machine just for running that company software program and MS Office, everything else she can do in Linux with her Google account. She can use the Google uh, Photos app on her phone to back up all her pictures to Google Photos in the cloud and then she can edit all these pictures with Google Photos in her browser on her laptop. So. We just ordered a new Dell XPS 157590 for her with the following specs, and I'm very jealous here. Uh, so it's an Intel 9th generation i7-9750H processor, which is a 6-core, 4.5 gigahertz, 12, and it has 12 megabytes of cache on the chip, a 1 terabyte NVMe solid-state drive, 32 Gigabytes of memory, 15.6 Infinity Edge display, uh, NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1650 with a 4 gigabyte video chipset. This came ra- uh, around 1799 which he was much happier with. So the question is, do you see anything about these hardware specs to cause concerns with this kind of setup? Uh, compatibility issues, etc. Also, I've run a lot of stuff in a virtual machine but have never actually tried installing Windows 10 into one. Should it install seamlessly like Windows 7 or 8 or will I need any special configuration settings in the BIOS to make it work right? Any suggestions or recommendations? Thank you guys for all you do. Anyways, guys, Troy, a.k.a. Jack Dith, home and business computer services so larry uh i suggested which was shot down pretty quick that he just hit do a dual boot uh but he made a point that um every time she needed the software she had to reboot a computer and that just wouldn't work uh yeah uh, and i i kind of see that um the virtual machine. Uh, I've had issues installing Windows 10 into a virtual machine. It always says that it doesn't recognize you have to you know, put a serial number in. Windows 10 also has where uh, in its EULA, End User License Agreement, uh, about how much you can do with the uh, Windows 10 in a virtual machine. And there's a bunch of stuff uh, that you have to do. And if I'm not too badly mistaken. If he ordered this Dell, the software is actually tied to the physical machine. And so there might be some problems take using that license in a virtual box.
0: Right, exactly. In fact, uh, Troy sent us an email uh, end of November. He says, uh, just wanted to give you guys an update on what happened with the setup. Even though the laptop came with Windows 10 originally, apparently you cannot just wipe the computer, install Linux, and then put Windows 10 into a virtual machine, like you were saying, Bill. It thinks it's a totally different computer and that Windows is now not genuine, so it will not activate. They expect you to buy it again. It's completely preposterous, he writes. He said, anyway, I found a reference online that allows you to create a batch file you can run that tricks Windows into thinking it's already activated. Then you can run your Windows updates like normal. It's seamless this computer is so freaking fast. You cannot believe it. When you turn it on just after the Dell logo goes away, it starts Linux Mint. It's only 3.5 seconds boot time and you can start opening and running things pretty much immediately. It's nuts. So he's pretty happy with it. (laughs) The customer is happy with it. And uh, hopefully uh, her daughter's uh, happy with the other Dell that they bought for her. I was thinking that's probably a um, nice computer for someone starting high school. That...
1: Yeah, but the only thing I would have changed in in the daughter's, I wouldn't change anything in the mother's uh, computer because that's that. De- I I told him I said that's one bang setup so you you just sent her. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, I would have given uh, the daughter another eight. Uh, gigabytes of RAM. I'd have put 16 in, just mm-hmm. just for a fact to kind of future proof it. Now I'm sure she can add it, but uh, later on, uh, because a lot of things. I think 16 right now is kind of the sweet spot. The 32 gigabytes for the mother. Uh, I understand because she's running a virtual machine, and you want to make sure that Windows in the virtual machine, you know, the system has enough to provide it. The only thing that I think is kind of ludicrous is that you actually have to write a batch file to use a version of Windows 10 that you got on a machine in a virtual box or a virtual yeah, machine. Yeah, I, I,
0: I agree. That seems a little funky, but it is Microsoft. so <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, So, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she's happy. And uh, if I ever have a, need someone to spec out a computer, I, I'm going to have Jack do it, man. he He doesn't play. I like this.
0: Yeah, I, I like it too. And they got a really great price on it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was a Black Friday sale or something, but yeah.
1: Speaking of, uh, uh, we've always known that Mac hardware is expensive, but just for mm-hmm. uh, a computer that's not even close to the specifications that she got, uh, the Mac was almost, was like $2,500. He probably got yeah. two computers and got her set up with uh, – with Linux, uh, Mint, uh, and Windows, and got the daughter uh, a pretty good computer for probably about the same money or less. Yeah, this is kind of crazy when you when you think about what you can do. When, uh and so yeah, I was, like I said, Jack, you, that's nice. And I've heard that the Infinity Edge display on on those uh, machines is really nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it definitely is. Um yeah, one other comment. We talk about Windows a lot and um you know, comparing it with Linux, especially in the past three part series that we've had. But um Troy was talking about the user of this computer, the Mac computer w- using it for pictures and she wanted to be able to uh edit photos from her iPhone. And I just wanted to comment that I was trying to do that on my company-provided MacBook Air. And I've noticed that Apple, you know, in their Finder, which is the file browser that they use, in their Finder, they provide a folder for pictures. But when you take pictures with uh, an iPhone and it goes over iCloud, to your computer, it doesn't end up in the pictures folder. It ends up in an iPhoto folder, but there's also a Photos folder. So there are three different places your photos could go. And I it took me a long time to try to figure out where I I know I picked that picture. I know it's on the the computer's hard drive, but I can't find the stupid thing. And then when I actually tried to take it out because. I wanted to attach that photo to something for work. Uh, you couldn't right click, once you found it, you couldn't right click on it and say, send it to this particular location. It wouldn't let you do that. Uh, and you couldn't right click and say, save to desktop or move it to a folder. I had to actually go into the Finder, into the, I think it was the iPhotos, or maybe it was the Photos folder, and I had to drag it from there onto the desktop. There was no other way to get it on the desktop except click and drag, and once it was there, I could put it where I wanted to put it. Just another example of some of the aggravating inconsistency in a very popular operating system out there. Well, You don't have that problem with Linux.
1: (laughs) No, but... I for, I have an iPhone for my personal use. Uh, long story on why I got an iPhone, but uh, when I I had a, a problem, I wanted to import my photos, and so I hooked it up and and you know had to install a driver that was you know uh, it says hey we need this, so I installed it and it imported it, and I'm like okay cool, so I'm looking through my photos and. Uh, I I was using I believe it was Darktable, and it it had more um, it had videos in it too, <laughs> because uh-huh. what happens is unless you turn it off in settings, <laughs> it it takes it makes it takes uh, these uh, like a video I don't know it's a, I guess. If, if you ever – if anybody has an iPhone or you were, were sent a photo, if you t- hold the picture, it gives a little bit of sound and a, like a short little video clip, and so – that was kind of crazy because I because then you have to go through all these files that you think you only have yeah, like exactly. 10 pictures and you have all these files of video and other uh, and other stuff and and I'm like this this is I just want to send this import of a still photo into <laughs> my system so I can send it to my friends or whatever and I have to dig through until I can actually find it. Uh yeah. So what the solution was uh, was you have to go into your phone and then you have to uh tell it not to take those I I I guess you would call them an active photo uh of it. So yeah, that that was kind of weird I, I, but uh you know it, it is what it is. <laughs> Apple and there, their gimmicks. But anyway, you know,
0: n- nothing's perfect, including Linux. But, <laughs> you know, I think that uh, we've learned uh, long ago that there seem to be much more aggravating things about the other two most popular operating systems out there than there are with Linux. At least once you've learned how to use Linux and learned that it's pretty much consistent. Um, user interface, consistent way of working. And, you know, from distribution to distribution, it may be different, but within the distribution, especially distributions that have paid a lot of attention to user interface design, like Ubuntu Mate or Ubuntu itself or uh, elementary OS, those kinds of distributions. They've done a lot of work to make sure that things work the way you expect them to work. And they're not always bugging you to, ah, you're running out of iCloud space because (laughs) we've used all the space by saving not only your one picture, but all these video clips and all all that other stuff. And now we want you to buy more storage, you know.
1: I just got that uh, thing saying... uh, you're just about, about out of iCloud uh, storage, and for another, I think it was 99 cents, you can get another 50 gigabytes uh, of storage. And I'm thinking, why do I need that? I, I have things being backed up to Dropbox and uh, uh, Google, my Google Drive. So I was mm-hmm. like, why do I need it in three? I mean, I, I understand data uh, redundancy, but that might be carrying it just a little far so yeah exactly so yeah it's you can turn off the iCloud sync in in your your Apple devices but it's just the fact that you know it seems like every time I turn around it's saying oh by the way you're almost out of something (laughs) and it's all these video clips and you're like I just took a picture why do I have video clips right
0: because they want you to have video clips I don't know whether (laughs) there's a place to uh it's new you know turn that off or not yeah of course, it's new, and of course you get it, and of course it's set to the most space-consuming options, so that you have to buy more
1: storage. Oh, come anyway. on, there! You act like they planned that.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm sorry. It's conspiracy theories gone amuck. Anyway, <laughs> I I think that was our last email for for this time around, Bill.
1: It was. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't have any uh, additional thoughts. Uh, I just want to say that nothing's perfect, and where we think that uh, Linux is probably closer than some of the other OSs, uh, you know, we we sometimes get entertained by what you have to go through just to do simple stuff.
0: Yes, absolutely. And uh, the only other thing is, uh, I wanted to say that our next episode will be after the new year and we will actually have a year in review we seem to be doing that every year in around january or so and we'll take a look back at 2019 and give some highlights of the things that we've observed and maybe some things that we've done good bad stupid whatever uh, (laughs) the bad or
1: stupid comes falls under me okay
0: uh not always not always but uh anyway i uh i i hope that we'll have an opportunity there to take a look into the future as well and give some idea of where we think linux is going and i'm quite happy that 2019 was the year of the linux desktop
1: (laughs) oh you just had to say that didn't you of course, yeah. You just of had to, how many years have you said that the it, you know that it was your Linux desktop for the past? You know three? what?
0: I think that's the first time I've actually said it. <laughs> I've actually said it, not the first time it's ever been said, but yeah, it's, yeah, maybe. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> until that then. will be our next episode. <laughs> yes, until then.
1: Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe.
0: We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done.
1: And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Please ignore the errors if you get them. Yeah, that's not our fault.
0: Until next time,
1: thanks for listening. 73.